0: Father, we come before you today in light of that day, knowing that the life we have today is but a moment. All that we see or think we see, all that we know or think we know, all the lesser things that we live for, that we call life. God, there will be a day when everything changes in the light of your presence. There will be a day when all that is will be changed. And yet, here we are on this side of that day, and we need your Holy Spirit to give us a picture of you, to give us a picture of that day when you will come, to give us a picture of what awaits on the other side of it that becomes larger and more real than the smaller picture of our everyday lives and the things that we typically live for. God, I pray that if there is anyone in here who does not know You, who is not ready for that day, that today will be the day when that changes. God, I pray that for those of us who do know You, who believe in You, who love You, then I pray that You would enlarge the picture that we have of You and that day and of Your kingdom in such a way where we can't look away where we can only run towards it all the more and live in light of it with all we have. We need you to do that. Reveal it in your word and by your spirit we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Uh, last week, we took a break from the action in Second Peter and uh, we celebrated... The women we love so much. I'm so glad that uh, we were able to celebrate Mother's. Stephen gave a wonderful Mother's Day message. Uh, But this week, we are back in 2 Peter chapter 3. And in doing so, we turn our attention back to the coming day of the Lord. And this is a pretty heavy topic to spend three separate weeks on, Right? I and mean, when you think about everything that we have talked to up until this point, uh, we, we have the tendency to want to kind of breeze by these verses that we have gone through and kind of maybe get onto some more uh, lighthearted, cheery charges from Peter. And yet we're really camping out there. And uh, today is no different, even though today feels a little different. When we think back to uh, when we first started this conversation about the day of the Lord, we find verses 1 through 7 where we learn that uh, this day was promised by the prophets, by the apostles, by Christ himself, a day of fiery judgment for those who scoffed at and refused to surrender their lives to King Jesus. And in verses 8 through 10, we saw how this day of the Lord will not only bring judgment to mankind, but to the universe in its entirety as we know it. This fire of judgment will bring an end to the cosmos that has been altered by the effects of sin where, where stars explode and planets die and black holes, holes swallow and the rays from the sun destroy. This fire will bring an end to the world as we know it. And all the ways that it has been altered by sin where where tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and flooding and drought and disease seem to roam without apology. And more so the effects of sin in the hearts of all of mankind where wars and rape and genocide and sex trafficking and murder And everything else that is a result of the sinful fall. All of this. And so much more. And the question has to arise at some point between the cross and the second coming of Christ. How long, O Lord? When we take a look at this world, at this universe... That man that seems to be ruled by what feels like a whole lot of chaos. At times it seems absolutely crippling. When we find ourselves in the midst of that devastation, we can't help but wonder, how long, O Lord? How long until you come and replace the chaos with your perfect order? How long until you come and put an end to the reign of wickedness and replace it with your righteous rule? How long until you come and turn our mourning into dancing and wipe away our every tear? And to that, we don't have an exact answer, do we? We don't. But as Chris showed us two weeks ago in verse 9, God has great purpose in that waiting. Verse 9 of chapter 3 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so while the waiting for what awaits the believer is hard on so many levels, God's loving kindness is revealed through what many count as slowness or indifference because that family member that friend, that neighbor, that co-worker, that teacher, that professor. Those people who you know in your world who need Jesus. If that day comes before their knee bows, if that day comes before they have an opportunity to call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, if that day comes, then that day that may be marked by rejoicing and reward for you as the beloved will be a day of fiery judgment and forever damnation for them. And so we wait, but we wait with purpose, don't we? We wait knowing what awaits those who don't come to faith. And so, in light of that coming day of the Lord that we have been talking so much about, in light of what awaits, the question becomes so what? So it's coming. I still have bills to pay. We've got food trucks outside. I've got work on Monday. I gotta get the kids ready for graduation. We've got parties to go to. We've got vacation coming up. I'm looking at switching my job. I'm, oh man, I'm so close to retirement. I'm in my golden years. Oh, we've got small kids. I I just gotta make it through the end of today. I gotta figure out what we got for dinner tonight. So what? So what of this coming day of the Lord? Well, I hope that if you're here today and you know for sure that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may know what He did for you by dying on the cross. You may even believe that He was a real person that really existed. But you know that you have never bowed your knee to Him. You know that you have never asked Him to be the sacrificial payment for your each and every sin. You know that you have never bowed your knee to Him as Lord and said, no, I choose to follow You with my life. If you've never had that moment, then I hope even in the, the short breath of time that we have talked about the coming day of the Lord, that right here, right now, that you will have a moment right where you see, where, right where you sit, where you say, Jesus, I need You. Jesus, I don't know when that day is coming, but I know that you have given me today. And so in light of that day, I choose today to make you my Lord and Savior. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to have these and thous, but it does have to be from the heart. And it does have to come from your lips And the Bible promises that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised His Son from the dead, that you will be saved. And if you have no idea what it looks like to start that conversation with your Creator, then the so what for you in light of that day that is to come is to start that conversation with me or with Stephen or with Chris or with Steve Kester or one of our elders or somebody who knows how to introduce you to your Savior. And my hope and my prayer, all of our hope and prayer for anyone who calls Jesus the Lord is that you will do that today. And so before I go any further, I just want to stop I want to be in this moment, and I want to pray in light of that day for you. Because if that's what you, where you are, then that's what you need before we go any further. So let's pray. Father, I just pray that if there is anybody here today who does not know you, who may have heard about you, who may even believe uh, some ancillary truths about you, but does not have a relationship with you, Father, I pray right now that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would convict them of their sin and that you would call them by name into a saving relationship with you. That in the quietness of their own hearts, they would simply call out like the thief on the cross and just say a simple prayer of I believe. I need you. I want you. Now and forever. Forgive me of my sin cleanse me of it and be first in my life be my lord lord i pray that you would do a saving work here today it's in your name we pray amen that's a pretty obvious so what in light of the coming day of the lord right so what so so repent get your heart right with jesus But for the rest of us, we still have to ask that same question, right? Because that day is coming to all of us. That day is coming for all of us. And so we are still left with the so what? So what? So in light of that day that is coming, in light of what we know about that day that is coming, what does it mean for us? And that's exactly the two verses that we uh, that Steve read for us. And that's exactly what we're going to cover today. We are going to look at our so what in light of the coming day of the Lord. Do we have to do anything? Do we have to really worry about anything? Like, we know about Jesus. We know about grace. Isn't it just like ah, glory? Well, that's not really what Scripture reveals to us in its fullness. This day does call us to something. And so let's look together at what this day does call us to. I think there's three things. I'm going to do my best to make them a pretty brief three things. Yes, believe it or not, I can try and make things brief. No promises, though. We'll give it a shot. Uh, The first one, though, that we see is found in verse 11 where we read, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So here, Peter is no longer speaking in a general sense of things that will happen to the world, will happen to the scoffer, the false teacher, the unbeliever, the cosmos. No, now he is right back looking into the eyes of the believer and says this, since all of these things are going to melt away, what type of people ought you to be in regards to holiness, holy conduct, and godliness? Since all these things, what things? Well, everything that we just talked about in the verses, right? In the verses that came before. The heavens, the cosmos, the universe as we know it. The earth and all of its sinful corruption therein. The scoffer, the false teacher, and all who reject Jesus as Lord and refuse to repent. All of this will be dissolved with the fiery wrath of God, just and perfect in His judgment. And because of the fact that all these things are going to be dissolved, how then shall we live? What sort of people ought we to be in regards to holiness and godliness? That's the question he first poses here. Holiness or holy conduct refers to, again, I know we've talked about this before, but it's good to refresh us. When we're talking about holiness or holy conduct in this sense in the Greek, it refers to our external actions. And this is both privately and publicly. It's what we do when y'all are around and what I do when none of you are around. The deeds done outside of the body. What type of person should Matt Voenkel be in light of the fact that Christ is coming? In light of the fact that all of this, the world, its systems, the universe, everything that has been slayed by sin, what sort of person Should I be in result to how I conduct myself in light of all of that? And here he says, holy, in that all of our conduct should be consecrated, set apart. This isn't just a general question about, ah, what should we do in light of this? Well, let's go prep. Well, let's go buy a, a really, really, really big bomb shelter because, hey, uh, it sounds like it's going to get real hot in here, right? No, this is in regards to the type of people we are going to be. And so he says, holy conduct, consecrated for God, set apart for Him. In light of that day, who are we going to be today? Godliness. Godliness. Speaking to the inner man. Speaking to not what comes out of us, but what's going on inside of us. In light of that day, what should we be meditating on? What should the meditations of our heart be? What should the focus of our minds be? What should encapsulate our worship? our devotion, the inner things that drive us towards a goal. What is that thing? Who is that one that should drive everything that drives our inner self? Here, it's simply defined as godliness. It is God-word-in-word living is what He's calling our minds back to in light of the fact that everything that is not of Jesus, in light of the fact that everything that does not represent or reflect our King and His kingdom, in light of the fact that all of that is literally going to melt, who are we to be inside and out? Now this, in the English, Kind of reads like a really lame small group question. Like, okay, everybody. Um, well, Peter said some interesting things about the the day of the Lord, huh? Sounds, whew, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, just in light of the fact that Jesus is going to return, um, so what do you think? How uh, how should we live? Nope. That's actually not how it reads in the Greek at all. It is is a declarative statement. It is an emphatic statement. It's, guys, this is all going to melt. Who are we supposed to be? This is a rally cry in the Greek for the believer. You know all of this. I'm doing this because it's a column in my Bible. It's like verses 1 one through 10. It's a column. And so you know all of this. Maybe it was like this. I don't know how he wrote it. But the point is, in light of what you know, who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? In light of the fact that all of this is going to burn away, everything in you that does not represent Him is going to burn away. Who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? It's a call for us to get serious about our sanctification. It's a call for us to surrender every single part of us that is steeped in this passing world and to surrender it. To call it out into His marvelous light and say, no, no, I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. And so, whatever it is today that you are holding on to in light of that day, what do you need to let go of? What do you need to fight with a new level of ferocity? What do you need to put on the altar and say, Jesus, put this to death in me? What do you need to stop hiding? What do you need to stop creating space for? And protecting with walls and a, 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 a facade, a fake persona. Because you know, you can delete your browsing history. It doesn't make you holy. And you can come and worship Jesus on a Sunday, but, but, but serve at the altar of man's opinion of you. Or how people view you on the social medias. Or what people think about you based on how you present yourself. Like, you can go worship on that altar. Heck, you can do it here, right? We do it. We do it when we come on Sunday. Oh, I'm not gonna let you into my mess. I'm just gonna put on a tie. We're flip-flops. And you're going to see me all put together. Oh, yeah. Oh, top button, button. And here I am. Hey, any prayer requests? Uh, Yeah, just just pray that I would be more holy than I am. Because I can always grow in that. Yeah? Really? Really? Let's just call it community, shall we? No, we can call it a facade. We can call it fake. Because actually, God has put us in each other's lives to hold one another up. To hold one another accountable. To sh- help us take our weak hands that are bent towards sin and turn on the flashlight and shine it into the... Sh- nope, over here, brother. Nope, come on, come on. Shadowland. Yeah, let's, let's shine the light on that. Let's just keep that there for a while. Because sin, like mold, likes dark places that are untouched. And we need one another to break into our little island of self and say, no, no, He has something better for you. He has something more for you. You know you want it on your best days, and I know on your worst days, you don't want it. And so He sent me here to walk with you, to fight with you, to stand with you, to cry with you. And so I think, I believe, Based on what Scripture says, we need one another in this pursuit of holiness and godliness. And yet, if I am way too concerned about what all of you think of me, I'm going to do more image management than I am going to do sin eradication. Right? Because, man, I mean, I got Ray Vartanian as a brother-in-law. What's he gonna think about me if I'm honest with him about this? Guys, I did this with a porn addiction for years. And there was always a reason. There was always a group of people who were over me that I could not, I I can't tell my parents. What would, I can't tell my, my, my people at college. Like, they'll, they'll kick me out of Moody. This is a Bible. I can't tell the elders at the church what, they're not gonna let me work. I can't tell the pastors that I work. I can't tell my girlfriend. I can't tell my wife. I can't, and so what I'm going to do is whatever I need to do to kind of fight sin like this, pew pew, pew pew, pew pew, but mask it all so you can't see me, so you can't touch me, so you can't hurt me. Who do I fear in that scenario? Do I fear the one I'm going to stand before and give an account? Or do I fear you? He gave me you to help me fight. Why am I hiding? Why am I hiding? Are we coming out of the shadows and dragging our sin into the light that exposes it? And helps us to fight it. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 8 through 10 of the coming judgment that we will face. That we will face. That who will face? We, we being believers. This is what awaits us in the Beloved. Verse 8, Yes, we are of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. Yes. (laughs) And while Paul reveals in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that this judgment will not determine our eternal destiny, right? We hear that and we're like, oh no, fiery judgment. I'm a horrible person. I know I believe in Jesus, but I'm also a wretched sinner and so are you saying I'm going to... We're not talking about that. We understand the fiery judgment that awaits those who have never placed their faith in Christ. That much Scripture is clear about. But there is still a fire that we face as believers. Maybe it is not the fire of judgment, but it is the fire of refinement. And Paul makes clear throughout Scripture, that, frankly, all of Scripture makes clear the fact that this judgment, even though it is not for the purposes of deciding our eternity, should no less be used as a means of motivation for who we are and how we live. And if it's not that for us, then we've watered it down to be something other than what Scripture intends it to be for the believer Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than on that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation, being Jesus, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's works will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. That day being the day of the Lord. Because it will be revealed by what? By fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, if you are like the bum of a man that I am, you hear that and you think something along these twisted lines. Hey, what I just heard you say is that either way, I'm in. And yeah, I might smell a little smoky, okay, but like I'm in. And how bad could it be to be in if it's heaven? Like What are we really worried about here then? You're talking to me about dealing with my sin here. Do you have any idea what my boss would say if he knows what I did? Do you have any idea what my wife would say if she knew what I did? Do you have any idea how quickly I'd be kicked off the elder board, the deacon board, the Awana team, the leadership team, whatever, if they really knew who I was? No, thank you very much, Mr. Preacher Man. I will keep my sin in my back pocket, nice and hidden. I'll deal with it with a pew pew and I'll deal with whatever that is. Come that day. Because I know a little word that you're not talking much about. And that word is grace. Oh, grace. Right? Because let's face it. Facing you guys is terrifying. Because you're horrible. And you don't give a lot of grace. You know how to spell it. You can turn to it in your Bible and show me that you should have it, but you don't give enough of it. But He gives never-ending grace. And so even though Scripture seems to point to a reality that this should impact my morality, the way I live, how I live, you know what? I think I know better based on a theological technicality. Yes. Yes. I would rather hide today in light of that day, knowing that when I get to that day, it's going to be a lot better than anything I could face here. What was that in 3 Corinthians? Is there another Peter I don't know about? Is there like Fourth Peter? He mentions letters that he wrote. Was that just 1 Peter? Did he write other ones, Chris? Come on, you went to Masters, man. Back me up. Guys... Brothers and sisters, what kind of Bible are we rewriting? Could it be that our Creator knows something about what awaits in such a way that the words that He's actually giving us are true? Could it be that he wasn't just fooling when he, he pulled Mary Magdalene up out of, the, out of the dirt and said, go and sin no more? Cynthia said, hey, go. Sin some more. Paul in, in, in Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Shall we sin so that grace may abound? Sure. Why not? Really. Why not? Or what about our text for the day? Shouldn't it read something like, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, don't worry about holiness and godliness. It'll all pan out in the end. And yet, maybe God knows something that we don't. Maybe He knows something about what it would be like for us in all of our sin to stand before Him in all that He is. Maybe He knows that that moment with any lingering, unconfessed, hidden sin would be worse than the worst that any of you could ever do to me for an entire lifetime here on this earth. Maybe He knows that when all things are as they should be and I see Him as He is and my mind isn't distorted with the stupidity that sinfulness brings where I would actually take the Word of God and reroute it so that I could continue to hide my sin. Maybe He knows that in that moment I'll realize just how not worth it it was. And that I will see something, that I will feel something that is worse than anything that I could experience here on earth. And yet, guys, it's not just that day that He calls us to live lives of holiness and godliness for. Turn with me quickly in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Oh, these these chapters. John... Fifteen through or fourteen all the way through seventeen are just so beautiful where it's like these these last moments where Jesus is with his disciples and he is just downloading. He's just like, I want you to get this, I want you to get the big picture, I really want you to see this, and in the midst of it, Jesus writes this about our pursuit of holiness and godliness. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Great, I would love to. How do I do that, Jesus? Well, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Oh man, that seems like such a heavy burden. Like now we're back to just do good things and don't do bad things. And like, man, this is just the rest of my life. You will abide in My love if you keep My commandments, just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Beloved, He not only knows something about that day, He knows something about this day. And the burden you feel as you walk through life managing your sin, ah, who knows what here? What can I share? How far can I share? What half language can I use? Who can I tell this to? Who do I still need to hide this from? Should they know? Did they, oh, who could they tell? Oh, they have a relationship and they'll probably... Ha, hoo, 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 ha, hoo, ha I get it. And so we stay hidden. A lot of times we don't even bring it to Him. And yet the truth is that He wants us to be in the light as He is in the light. And when we are, we not only enjoy the fullness of joy found in fellowship with Him, but the fullness of joy found in fellowship with one another, right? That's what He has for us in the Beloved. He he knows, guys, it's not just going to matter on the other side of that day. It matters for today. So that you'll experience the fullness of what I have for you. Oh, what a beautiful promise. Peter reveals the second so what in our understanding of the coming day of the Lord and what it should lead us to in verse 12 where he says, Waiting for and hastening the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Sounds like a cheery day to look forward to, right? Sounds so interesting for him to call us to 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 wait for this, to to hasten it, to speed it along, right? Waiting for is this uh, idea in the Greek of of looking for something with great anticipation, and it's not just like when is this going to happen. It's like oh man, here we go, Sunday brunch, taco trucks, I can't wait, like mm, all that, right? It is this. It's the it's guys, it's waiting for vacation. How many of you guys got something that you're doing this summer that you're looking forward to? How many of you already started counting down the days? My, my kids, they know that at the end of July we're going to Hilton Head. We made the mistake of letting them know. And so now I get Judah every day waking up and saying, Dad, how many days? How many hours is it to Hilton Head? How many, how many, uh, how, how many weeks? How many months? I mean, are we using a lunar calendar? Are we using it like that? Break it down for me in minutes, right? There is this anticipation of, oh man, I know beaches and ice cream and we're going to go out and we're going to stay up late and we're going to watch movies and we're going to be in a pool and it's going to be awesome, except for the 12 hour car ride, but They are waiting for, right? They are greatly anticipating this thing that their hearts are longing for. That's the word for waiting. Is that convicting to anybody when I say that? It's convicting to me. When I consider how often I think about this coming day, and even how I feel, like what my knee-jerk is when I think of that day. Like, great anticipation? More like deep reservation. <laughs> More like, ah, oh, wow, that's going to get weird. Right? I mean, how many of us, right? We're going through Revelation as a church and how many of you are like, oh, maybe I'll check out White River for a year and a half. Like, that could get weird. <laughs> See you there. I gotta preach it. No. No. Like we we do. We come up on the day of the Lord and and we and we get this this response that is not to be our response. We avoid the prophetic literature in the Old Testament. We avoid the book of Revelation because we just don't really know what to do with it and we don't want to think about it and oh, what do I waiting for with great anticipation and not only that but hastening it means to to spur it along like to do whatever we can to make it come to pass theological rabbit trail some people look at this verse and they say "Mm, it can't mean that because god is sovereign he knows the day He's got it picked out. And so as far as our ability to urge it along, as far as our ability to hasten it, there's really nothing that we can do there. And so these words are just like saying, like, like you really, really, really are waiting for this with great expectation. Other people would say, no, we, we can. Like they look at scriptures and they, they look at the, uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and say, no, we are to pray. God, your, your kingdom come, your will be done. We look at the, uh, just what Chris said, uh, with God being patient so that all who will come to repentance. No, we have a gospel initiative to go out and share the gospel. Some would even look at the verse that, uh, comes before it and say, no, we, we actually spur on this day of the Lord as we pursue holiness as we purify ourselves for as a spotless bride for the coming bridegroom we urge along this day of the lord regardless of where you fall um I think the outcome is the same. I tend to side with uh, Warren Wiersbe's comments and his commentary where he says, these are mis- there are mysteries here that our minds cannot fully understand or explain, but the basic lesson is clear. The same God who ordains the end also ordains the means to that end. And we are a part of that means. God knows the day and He knows the way and you are part of that way. And in His divine sovereignty, He has commissioned you to go there and preach the Gospel. He has comm- commissioned you to pursue lives of holiness and godliness. He has commanded you along with uh, the teachings of Jesus and the prayers that we find in Revelation 5 and Revelation 8 to spur along, to send incense up into the nostrils of heaven to say, come Lord Jesus, Come. We want you here. We long for you here. We are to be the bride who does not cringe from His coming, but longs for it. Longs for it. Those are the people we are called to be. We're not to look at that coming day with dread or disinterest, or to let it cause the division within the body that we have let it cause, but instead this day is meant to be a regular meditation that seeps into the deepest part of our heart in eager expectation and longing. It's meant to be a regular motivation that urges us to continually run towards that day with greater and greater readiness. That's the heart posture we are called to have. That like the parable of the ten virgins found in Matthew 25, that we would be one of the ones with trimmed wicks and lamps full of oil, ready and waiting for our bridegroom to come and lead us into the feast that awaits. That is what Scripture calls us to. Is that where your heart is this morning? Is that where your heart has been as we've looked at the coming day of the Lord? Eager, waiting, ready. Wanting to do everything that you can do to bring it to pass and be a part of God's sovereign plan from the beginning of time. Is that where your heart is? Or is it somewhere else? Knowing what we know about that day should incite eager longing for it to come to pass. Not for the devastation that it will bring, but for the promise that comes with it. Look at verse 13. But according to His promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. (laughs) Here we see that knowing what awaits this world should intensify our focus on the promise of what comes next. A new heavens and a new earth, a place where righteousness dwells because our King is there and His ways are perfectly righteous. In your notes that you'll see um, in the number of application questions that are there for you, um, you'll see passages like Revelation 21, and two passages in Isaiah. And there are so many more. Uh, those, those were some of the more lengthier snippets about the coming kingdom. And, and I wanted them there. I, again, if you're like the schlub of a man that I am, who sits in these sermons like you do week after week, I will find any excuse to excuse laziness. I will find any excuse to excuse my actual engagement in the things that bring about lasting change in my life because that's just the schlub of a man that I am. And so I wanted to open up these texts and read through them in their entirety with you. I wanted to open up Revelation chapter 21. I wanted to open up Isaiah and read through these together but what I didn't want to do is for those of you who are like me to read it here quickly and in the time that we have that isn't much time, uh, just say, oh, well, I did that. We did that together. I read that. And it either wowed me in the moment, didn't do anything for me, or I lost track halfway through because I was already thinking about what I wanted. Bunch of lunch or whatever it's called. The, the, what's the taco truck? What, or what's the Chomps. Yeah, I was thinking about what I wanted. Chomps. I don't want to do that. This is going to be a week where one of the main applications for us as a church so that we become the people and the corporate bride that we are called to be, one of the applications is going to be to apply this. To make this an actual meditation throughout your week. Those passages are there. And and I had a moment yesterday where I was like getting ready for this message and I was like, yeah, I... I should probably do that. Like I wrote it in the wrote in the notes for them to do, but I haven't I haven't done it. And so on Saturday morning, I went and I sat, um, I sat in Revelation, and I and I read through the text. And I've read it many times before, but I just stopped and said, "Okay, God, what do you want me to see that I don't see?" And he started taking me through this world. And he started by taking me to uh, those... You know, these are the moments I oh, thank God that I'm alive. So I started like going to those moments, right? So I started going to what? Well, what's your, what is your happy place? Man, oh man, well it's vacation. I mean, it's it's when we go to Gatlinburg for those two days and then we go on through to Hilton Head. Well, what are the moments in that? Well, it's the moments before those other moments, like when we're walking on the trail with all of our kids and everyone's like skipping off ahead and they're happy and no one has uh, twisted legs or ankles or you know skin knees and no one's like I'm hungry, I have chafage, I don't want to do this anymore, I have a rock in my shoe, another rock in my shoe. I've got rocks everywhere. And it's before those moments where I get that moment where it's just the woods and we're on the Appalachian Trail and it is just like, I just want to like, you know, like, can I just, Oh, but I can't because it's just a moment, right? It's just, oh, what was that? It's that moment when we get to Hilton Head. And it's always the first day because no one's saying, do we have to go to the beach today? Do we have? I don't want to go in the sun. I want to sit in here and watch Dude Perfect. I don't want to. I did not pay this amount of money so we could come here and you could watch Dude Perfect. I'm going to break that television. No, it's the moment before those moments. It's the first day when we're going up to the beach and most of the paths in Hilton head look the same it's shrubbery on the way it's this it's this tattered wood path that leads to this hump of sand that i have to pull the cart up over but when i get it up there and i get, and it's just the atlantic ocean and sometimes there's dolphins and sometimes there's birds and sometimes there's there's i mean it's different every time right that's the beauty of the beach it's different every time and my kids are so happy to be there, and my wife is past the place where she's like, "This was not worth the drive." She's like, "This was so worth the drive. "Honey, you did so good." And it's just like, "Ha!" Ah. And then it's gone, right? And then it's gone, right? because He's put eternity in our hearts and He's put these moments in our hearts where relationships for a moment seem perfect, where life for a moment seems perfect, where everything just seems as it should be, but nothing actually is. And what He does in that moment is saying, I've called you into that forever with Me. I'm coming down to you to make My dwelling place with You. You And I am going to make everything new so that everything that you taste here becomes reality there. Everything that you wish that you can hug here becomes me there. I have something for you that is so much better than the best you can find here. And it's forever. And you may be sitting there and say, I don't have a Hilton head. I don't have, you know what I have? I have a past. I have an abusive husband. I have sin and shame. I have, I have nothing but wreckage. Great. Read on in Revelation because he meets you in that place and he says, he says, child, come here. Let me wipe away those tears out of your eyes forever. Oh, you feel like a failure? You feel like you feel like you're not measuring up in this life. Come here. Oh, you, you feel like you feel like you were robbed of your childhood or your adult. Come here. Oh, you you lost your wife. You lost your husband. Come here. No more of that. No more of that. Just forever. Ever with me, and when you start to think about life on its best when you start to think about life when it's at its worst and you start to view it in light of what is really true of it what we are left with is the only thing we could possibly be left with and that's a life that is lived with then in mind it 's interesting when you look at how this verse is laying out, and it almost makes more sense to read it backwards doesn 't it because it 's in light of the promise that awaits this promise that we should be jacked for, that we should be running after, that we should be looking at the best that this life has to offer, and saying, "Oh Jesus, come because I know it 's only better and the worst that this life has to offer saying thank you, Jesus, come. I know you're going to make this better. We should be eagerly wanting, doing everything that we can to bring about that day and it's in light of that day. That day, that promise, that moment when you are with Him forever. It's in light of that day that we look at our lives in the here and now and say, what needs to go? What doesn't belong? What will not be there when I see Him? And if I'm living with that day in mind, I'm living to put all of that to death. And I don't care who knows as long as they're here to help me along the way. Amen. And so I leave you with an application of this. Go and read those texts that are in there. Go and honestly work through those questions. Go and ask yourself, if I'm sitting here today and I'm not looking forward to that day, why? Why? Is it because you're not ready for it? Is it because you do not have a relationship with him? Is it because you had one, but you ran after other things instead of him? Let's deal with it. Because what we have in him, what we have in the kingdom that is to come, guys, that's worth running after with everything that we have. So spend some time this week and let those passages wash over you and deal honestly before the, before the Lord. Ask him to search your heart and say, God, where is my heart in relationship to your coming? What do I need to see in order to be ready for that day? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word that is true, for your promise that awaits, and for the way in which you'll bring it all to pass. Thank You for the goodness that You are to us here, the fullness of joy that we have in You now, and the indescribable joy that awaits us in You on the other side of that day. Help us to keep our eyes on Your coming, and I pray that it would have its full effect on our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.